from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them Jesus addressed this parable. What man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy and upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me because I have found the coin I lost. In just the same way I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed. But nobody gave him anything. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here I am dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him 
and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. Let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son, who had been out in the field and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, look, all these years I served you and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns who swallowed up your property with prostitutes for him, you slaughter the fatted calf. The father said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Most everybody thinks that the big question about God is whether God exists or not. But actually, the really big question, the much bigger question about God is what is God like? What kind of God is God? And it's because perhaps so many of the answers that have been given over the ages to that question are so inadequate that the other question then comes up in people's minds. If God is simply a creator of the universe and then walks away and lets the suffering go on and doesn't care anymore, what need do I have of a God who has no compassion for the suffering of this world? If God is a great judge in the sky whose only purpose in life is to separate the good from the bad and send the bad to hell and the good up to heaven, well, who needs that God? If God is simply a wispy spirit sort of floating around the face of the planet, making people feel good for a few moments as they meditate on top of a mountain, <laughs> well, 
that God is not very helpful, really. <laughs> and so the question arises, maybe there really isn't a God. But the deeper question, the richer question, the much more important question is still in all, what kind of God is God? What is God like? When that question is answered well, the other question mostly disappears. So perhaps you've noticed that Jesus dedicated the better part of his life, if not all of his life, precisely to answering that big question about God, what is God like? And Jesus' answer is something really quite new. Unlike most of the rabbis of his time, most of the teachers of the law, most of the people who, who had any kind of authority in Judaism, and certainly unlike those of other religions all around and about, Jesus comes up with a very distinctive answer. God is not just a creator who walks away and lets people suffer without any feelings about it. God is not just a judge who, who sends, condemns, or saves. God is, 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 is not just a wispy spirit floating around the face of the earth. No, God is Father. Jesus, over and over and over again, uses the most intimate word for Father to describe God. The God he knows intimately because he is one with God and experiences God as Father, as his Father. We all know that his great prayer that he teaches his disciples begins with that word, our Father, Father in heaven. So that's all fine and good. God is a Father. Maybe that's just one more answer to the question of, you know, what is God like that doesn't really move people or touch people any more than the other answers. So Jesus takes it a step further. What does it mean that God is Father to him and to us? He answers that question in the parable that we've just heard this morning. Jesus dedicates his deeds, dedicates his relationships, and maybe most of all dedicates his parables, his teachings, to answering that question in one way or another. What is God like to us as our Father? And this beautiful parable, this extraordinary parable, this moving parable that Jesus tells this morning is one that is, in a sense, so radical that it appears nowhere else in the other Gospels. We don't find it in Matthew, Mark, or John. It's almost like it's too hot to handle for them. Because what Jesus does in this parable is describe God as a father whose mercy for his sons and his daughters is unconditional, requires nothing of us, and wraps us in his mercy no matter what. So how's the story go? Obviously, most of us know the story. It's named after the prodigal son. The prodigal son, what's, what's up with that guy? This guy is a horrible, awful, terrible, disgusting, 
icky human being. <laughs> Any other adjectives come to mind? What he does to his father when he asks for his share of the estate is say to his father, you are dead to me. The only way I should have rights to this estate, my share of the estate, is if you're dead. So by my asking for it now, you are as good as dead to me. He guts his father. He leaves his father's guts spilling out on the ground. He might as well stick a sword or a, or a knife into his heart. That's what he's doing to his father when he asks for that money, his share of the estate. No son would ever do that in their culture. So immediately everybody hearing this story goes, oh my God, impossible, terrible, beyond our imagining what this son does to his old man. It's, it's the worst imaginable sin possible. And, and the father lets it happen. The father lets it happen. And so the son goes off and he takes his estate and he sells it all. And he runs off to a foreign land. And he wastes that perfectly good Jewish money in a foreign land, which itself was a yet another great sin. And he wastes it in the most stupid ways imaginable. With all due respect to 17-year-olds, he wastes it as if he were a 17-year-old in Las Vegas <laughs> with no parents. And there he goes. Off he goes. He wastes it all. Pretty soon he's got nothing. And he's still too proud to go back home. So he goes and hires himself out. What does the farmer give him to do? Go work with the pigs. For a Jewish person, having anything to do with a pig, a swine, was terrible. It was awful. They hated it. It's the most degrading thing imaginable. Famine hits. He gets hungry. And then he finally comes to his senses. And this is the part where most people think, ah, he's finally converted himself. He's finally saved himself. He's finally seen the light. He's going to go back to his father in love and all that stuff. No, it's a practical decision. He's hungry. He's going back because he knows his father has food. It, it, he's, he's going back the same selfish, rotten person he's always been. All about me. And in this case, all about my empty belly. So that's what's up with the kid. Now what's up with the father? As he said, the father has been left there gutted. You know, he, he's, he, he must thereafter spend the rest of his life sitting on the front porch, the stoop of his home. The, 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 the focus of every joke in town Every kid must ridicule him. Every family must tell the story of the father who was such a bad father, such a bad Jew, that he would let this thing happen to him. Nobody would connect with him again. Nobody would relate to him again. Nobody would invite their him over for dinner. Nobody would invite him to his feasts. All he has to do is sit on his porch, grieving the loss of his son, this son that he loves crying and weeping and waiting, hoping against hope, against hope that maybe the son someday will return to him. 
This is a father who doesn't care about the ridicule. He doesn't care about the money. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about any of that. The only thing he cares about is his son whom he loves with his whole heart and his whole mind, his very being. And so he weeps and weeps and weeps day after day after day. And he waits and he waits and he waits day after day after day. Who knows for how many years. Parents who've had to wait late into the night for a son or daughter to come home. Know that feeling. Multiplied in this story a million times over. And so he waits until one day, one day there off in the distance down the road, he sees his son. Perhaps it's the way the son walks that he can tell who it is. You know, the son obviously is going to be much skinnier than he was before. He's probably skin and bones. He's probably broken in many ways. He's got nothing on. He's probably practically naked. Yet the father sees him with the eyes of the father. He sees them. And what does he do? Does he begin to set up all kinds of requirements for the son to come back into his good graces? Okay, before you can be my son again, you've got to do this and this and this and this. I want to hear these words from you. I expect an apology to your brother. I expect this and that and the other thing. And that's what everyone would have said he should do. Everyone listening to this story is expecting Jesus now to say, okay, the father is going to play the game of the father and he's going to let the son come back, but he's got to go through all of these rituals and all of these uh, absolutions and all of these everything before he welcomes him back into his home, if he even does that. But instead, what the father does is he picks up the hem of his garments and he starts running running, running as fast as he can out to meet the son, not where the son, not where he is. He doesn't wait for the son to come to him. He goes out and meets him on the road. And what this means, first of all, old men, men of uh, men did not run. Running was for children. And so he immediately, anybody seeing this is saying, there goes old crazy George again. He's running now. Men don't run. And then he has to pick up his garments, the hem of his garments, so he can run. Only women do that. He completely degrades himself yet again. Why? So that he can go out and meet his son and embrace him and kiss him and wrap his arms around him heart to heart and welcome him home and love him back into life. Love him back into life. The son is only able to get a part of his speech out before he's overcome by the father's love. He's tackled by the father's love. He's brought to the ground by the father's love. The father embraces him and embraces him and embraces him. Asks nothing of him. Ask nothing of him. So great is his love and compassion and mercy for his son. And just put a ring on his finger. The ring that restores him to the family. Get my best cape, my best robe and put it over him. The robe of mercy and love and restoration. The robe of new life. 
And after that, let's have the party of the century. You know, kill the fatted calf and get out the best wine. We're going to have a party and we're going to get music and a dance because this son of mine was lost and now is found. He was dead and now he's alive. What brought him back to life? What found him? Did the son himself find himself? Did the son save himself? Did the son say, I am now healed and ready to be a human being again? No. It was the love, the kisses, the embrace of the father that restored him to his family. That restored him to life. That raised him up to live again. And the celebration, the party is meant to commemorate, to celebrate that simple fact that this father loves his son no matter what and asks nothing for him except that he accept his love again anew. So they have a big party. It's a beautiful party. Lots of music, lots of wine, lots of dancing, lots of food, fatted calf. So anyone hearing this story would be scratching their heads at how radical it is, this image. This is not how God is for most people. The sinners and the tax collectors and the sick, the people Jesus hangs around with are hearing this story and they're going, wow, that's what God is for us. Let's run. Let's go. We're in. Let's go celebrate. God loves us and heals us and forgives us no matter what. We know that boy. We are that boy. And what a blessing, what a grace it is that God will wrap his arms around us and put his robe of love over us and knock us down with love and raise us up with love. On the other hand, remember who Jesus also is speaking to. The Pharisees, scribes the big shots, the holy guys, the people who are holy and good and study the scriptures, who never miss Sabbath, who say their prayers, who are standing off saying, no, that's not what God is like. You know, God requires this and this and this and this. If you've sinned, you've got to do this and this and this and this to get back in God's good graces. And who are they represented by in the story? Remember, there's still another son in this story. Jesus speaks to those Pharisees and those scribes by adding the other son. And by saying, having the father say to that son, come into the party. Who they are standing there like this, no way. That's not the God we believe in. That's not the God of the scriptures. That's not the God of holiness. God takes care of us holy people and he doesn't like those sinners over there. And Jesus says, no. Come and celebrate and eat and drink with the sinners and you'll find life. You'll be found again. I love you as much as I love the other son. Come on in, you're my son too. My arm around you too. And we don't know how the older son responds. Jesus does not tell us. Because he's leaving it a question open for the Pharisees and the scribes and the others. The big shots and the holy people. 
Are you going to come in? Are you going to accept this understanding, this concept, this image of God, our Father, who is all-merciful and all-loving? Or are you going to walk away? Well, we can only presume that perhaps some of those Pharisees and scribes came in and joined in the feast. But we also know that some of them went back to Jerusalem and planned Jesus' death. So there you have it. That's the choice that the story gives all of us. If we're sinners, it's a great story. (laughs) Because it tells us God, our Father, the Father of Jesus, is a Father of infinite, unlimited love and mercy and compassion for us. Even in our sinfulness. Even because of our sinfulness. On the other hand, the others have to say, I don't like that God very much. I think God requires things of us. I think God says we have to do this and this and this and this. We have to earn our salvation. We have to earn heaven ourselves. We have to save ourselves before God can save us. And that, Jesus says, leaves you out of the kingdom of God, leaves you out of the feast, leaves you out of the celebration. So Jesus has answered the question for us. You know, what is God like? God is like this father in the story with his, both his sons. <laughs> and if that's the God we know and love, then it's very hard not to believe in that God. If that's the God that we preach and teach by our way, if we join Jesus in sharing that image of God with our world, there's not going to be very many people left saying, well, gosh, I don't know if there really is a God. Because it's a beautiful image of God. It's a perfect image of God. It's a lovely image of God. It's a hopeful image of God. It's an attractive image of God. Who doesn't want a God like that in their lives? That's the God Jesus teaches us about. That's the God we're asked to understand in our own lives loves us. And that's the God of the good news that we're asked to proclaim and preach to the world. That answers the question, what is God like? God is like the Father in this story. And with that kind of a God being taught and proclaimed to the world, far few people will ever feel the need to even ask the question, Is there really a God out there anyway?